to the Recycler Podcast. My name is David Connett and my resident guest today is Peter Mayhew, Director and Senior Analyst at Lightwords Imaging. Welcome Peter, what's new today? Thank you David and welcome everybody. Well we've got several interesting uh, topics, a little bit of a worldwide journey we're on today. We're going to be dipping into Italy and Spain for some very positive news uh, for the aftermarket from those two countries. We're going to then look at the European Union more generally and look at the the uh, voluntary agreement, which uh, is going to be a very interesting topic to uh, take a deep dive into. Then we're going to go over to uh, North America and have a little look at Costco and what's happening there with uh, inquiry filling. And then I have to say we're going to start talking narcotics, not taking them, talking about them, I have to add. And then we're going to do a little bit of a chart rundown of cartridges. So why don't we dive in first of all, David, and Tell us a little bit about Italy then and the um, new regulations there on the purchases of remanufactured cartridges by the state. What it is is the Italian uh, government have been looking at this and they're, uh, they've basically mandated that uh, 30% of purchases should be remanufactured product. There's strict criteria to meet, but it's uh, it, it's pretty much a first and it reinforces their earlier decision uh a couple of years ago. So that's a win-win. It doesn't exclude organisations buying OEM cartridges or new build cartridges. What they're saying is 30% should be uh, remanufactured cartridges. That's great news. I mean, if, if that could be across the whole uh, European Union, that, that, that would be brilliant. It's really a good first step and it, it's probably a little bit of a watershed moment, isn't it? In that um, there are some strict criteria here. This is not, you know, open season. You know, no, 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 these it, products have got to comply. You know, Blue yeah. Angel, Eco Label, Nordic Eco Label, etc., etc. Yeah. They're all got to be complied with. But it's yeah. a, it's a good benchmark. Well, it is, and that and that's a good thing. And as I say, you know, we're really in in the 21st century, the era of reuse and the green agenda, and it just makes sense that we reuse consumables. You know, from my own personal perspective, I don't mind. What's reused, you know, whether it's an OEM cartridge or, uh, you know, a, a new build cartridge. At the end of the day, the, the more reuse that we get, the, the better it is, you know, for the environment, for the industry and for the consumer. That's a very interesting direction when you talk about reuse because I've been doing some work um, on a project just recently and starting to look at this whole subject of reuse. And it is quite surprising just how many manufacturers are really only just starting to get to grips with the changes in Europe and the changing attitudes towards reuse. It's going to become a serious, serious um, issue. And it's also a challenge, I think, for manufacturers. How do they actually wedge in to their current sustainability positions the proposition of reuse? Because its tentacles go in many, many different directions. Uh, Yeah, I I think too many OEMs, when they talk about sustainability, it's how sustainable is their current model. So, you know, they, they take the raw materials out of the ground, they manufacture something, and eventually it goes back in the ground and somewhere along the way, they say, oh yes, we recycle this, we collect that. So it's the sustainability of their linear process that they're, they're talking about. And, and really, that linear process has to become circular. And then in itself, it will be sustainable. And then, you know, the more you focus on it, the more sustainable it will 
be. And that's the challenge for an OEM because, it, don't get me wrong, I really wouldn't want to be leaving any of the major OEMs because it is a culture change because you answer to your shareholders and the shareholders are looking for a profit and changing a business model from a, a razor and blades linear model to a, a reuse circular model is not an easy challenge. But You know, you, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head and, I was, and I'm, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to go too deep at this stage, but in, in part of the work I've been doing in this topic area, I, I was looking at one OEM in particular and reviewing their sustainability report and it was very evident there that they are trying to transition into a reuse circular model but they're starting off from this, this linear approach that you quite rightly describe. It's work in progress and um, yeah, there's a, there's a long which way to, just to want to go. A piece of this, which is um, the um, um, the Itura uh, win that they've had in Spain with some rule changes for on on uh, on we. This is the uh, the it's news that um, uh, we importers uh, WEEE I should say there that's the waste electronics um, now need to be registered um, in Spain and the Spanish uh, authorities can supervise and verify you know, that correct compliance is in yeah. place regulations. Well, it, it's a bit more simple than that. You know, European requirement is if you're placing more than five tons of electrical uh, equipment, EEE, onto the market, you have to be registered. However, there's no checks. So what Spain has done is if you're importing now, you you have to show that you're registered for an approved we scheme so and you pay it because you have to pay when you place uh, ee we subject products you have to pay so what the spanish authorities say is they, they've changed the paperwork so online as part of your pre-clearance of, of that shipment you have to put in your your waste registration number and it enables the import authorities to um, before they grant you clearance to check to make sure that you know you're registered the taxes are paid so that the we is probably taken care of because as I understand it, Spain is a particular problem where more we is collected than is being put on the market. That basically means that some people are importing and, and not paying the, their appropriate duties and all the rest. This is a conversation that's been going on for a while with Atira and, to be fair, uh, a couple of other uh, organisations. And I don't want to say it was like a... a pivotal moment but it was like half a dozen people sat around so how could we do this you know and somebody said well why don't we just do this and and the technology happened and that's what's going to happen so that's in Spain and that, that will apply to imports so what that means is cheap cartridges coming in will still come in but the, the person importing them is going to need to be registered for we or the importer and obviously the, the cost of recycling will be paid at the time of import and that will invariably put the price up and help remove the, t the distortion between a locally remanufactured product and an imported new build. This is not everybody 
most importers are registered and, and all the rest of it. So, it, but it is about just closing that loophole. And a challenge now, of course, is to get all member states in Europe to do the same thing. That's that. I mean, yes, it's both the opportunity and the challenge, isn't it, to uh, yeah. get them on the same page. Which I guess when you talk about that sort of cooperation, is it a good point to perhaps move into the topic of the uh, EU voluntary agreement? Yeah, so the voluntary agreement is, it's about saving energy, it's about the green agenda, and it's about printing equipment. So there are some easy easy things to do, like extending the life of printers and supporting that. But uh, there are also challenges, you know, what to do with consumables, what's a target for consumables. This is where really um, you, you come up against that linear business model of the OEMs, where the OEMs are looking to protect the model that they have. Whereas the aftermarket is saying you've got to change because the market has changed. I mean, there are three distinct channels in the aftermarket, in the imaging market now. You've got the OEM segment, you've got the reuse segment, you've got the new build segment, and then you've got cross verticals where you've got, you know, uh, contract sales, etc. And the EU have basically been pushing, first of all, where you've got to consider consumables, so there's no consumables in it. And what the EU member states and uh, the NGOs are saying is, well, there have to be targets. Now, whether that's a, a weight-based target, you know, you, you collect a, a thousand tons or a unit-based target that you collect a hundred million cartridges, but it's got to be there because uh, how, how else do you measure the effectiveness of the agreement? And that's it, it the does, challenge. Does, yeah, yeah, it does, right. it does seem like there are there are some problems here. I mean, uh, I, I really, think the opaqueness though, there is there is a an issue in the sense that obviously the eleven OEMs can't talk to everybody in the industry, but if you look at the average aftermarket company, and I don't mean you know there are some companies that are one hundred percent dedicated to remanufacturing of consumables. You've got. Other companies, you know, retail remanufacturers that, you know, they sell printers, they remanufacture or refill cartridges, you know, they'll sell OEM cartridges, new build cartridges. It's quite important that this voluntary agreement, if it is going to have weight and be effective, has to apply really to the, to the broadest section of the industry. That's my view. And without it, it, it doesn't really work. And, you know, if it only focuses on a, a narrow group of remanufacturers uh, and the OEMs, it's not addressing the whole industry, in which case I can't see how it's going to work. My personal opinion is that the VA is good if it can work for the biggest part of the audience and the market but if it isn't and I think legislation is a better avenue because leg legislation will ensure that the rules apply to everybody whether you're in the reuse sector the you know the uh, new build sector or an OEM and here's the big challenge it will impact on everybody um, because remanufacturers will have to up their game and they'll probably have to collaborate a lot more the uh, OEM's business model will have to change, you know, and, and things, you know, like 
instant ink type things, you know, contract that says they want to exclude those cartridges, and it, and it can't be like that. It has to be everything. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in that market, but hopefully by April when they have to do it, there will be a voluntary agreement that, you know, people can get behind and endorse. Otherwise, I think the EU will go down the uh, legislation route. I, I, I favour legislation at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm with you as well on that, with favouring legislation. Not that I would not like to see um, a voluntary agreement. I, I, I would, and I think it'd be great to see, you know, the industry fairly and equitably represented. But the reality is, and I think the EU have come to realise this. You know, this is this has been a, a strategy that doesn't just apply to to the printing industry and our, our industry here. It's whether you're in televisions or refrigerators or whatever the electronic goods are. The EU has started to realise that sometimes, you know, voluntary agreements just don't work. And I think that their appetite for voluntary agreements is starting to wane. And I think as an industry, there's a need for caution here that we do genuinely work together sincerely to, to bring this together. Because, you know, otherwise, as you say, it will go down the legislation route. And I don't know that um, that ultimately would be in the best interests, you know, um, of all parties. I would imagine legislation would be broader for the whole market, but less detailed. Mm. I think with the voluntary agreement, you've got to sign up to it. But there's a, a challenge that supporting signatories, so non-OEM signatories can only sign up once a year for a, a, a short period. As a signature, you then have to uh, negotiate a, a, a bilateral agreement with each individual OEM, depending on the products you do. That in itself could be, you know, distorting the market because if yes. if you're not in it, you know, how do you compete? Yeah. And because it's all confidential, it's not open, it, mm. and and so. It sort of doesn't seem to, to fit well, but hopefully as the negotiations uh, go forward, uh, th- those issues will be resolved. But if yeah. not, it, it'll be legislation, I think. Yeah. And, and on the positive note on that is, you know, look look how far we've come really in a relatively short period of time. And we're actually even able to, to be talking about the fact that there is actually, you know, a discussion around a, a voluntary agreement. You know, I mean, that's yeah. got to be a, a major move forward. Yeah, I mean, I I think in some of the OEMs, the mindset is, you know, let's get this deal over the line because it means then that they won't have to well, do anything we, for another uh, five years. It kicks the other side of the pond and, and, uh, and have a little discussion about increased filling at Costco. Yeah, well, there isn't any. They, they, they That's basically, exactly right. Yeah. They, they basically pulled out of uh, in-store refilling, uh, which was very big. What they're saying is, you know, the, the market has changed, etc., 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 and they're they're pulling out, uh, which is a shame, really. I mean, I I think there's a bit of a resurgence in uh, retail refilling. You know, you look at uh, mm. what is coming in a story uh, up ahead. There's a, a dire shortage uh, uh, of popular you know, cartridges, and refilling is you know on a on a resurgence on the back of that. So Costco <laughs> may well find that they're they're withdrawing from a sector that's just about to have a bit of a renaissance. <laughs> It's a, it's a funny one, you know. I, yeah. I agree with you. I think as we emerge from the various lockdowns that we see around the, the world, I think that the first sort of few months after lockdown are, are going to be very telling 
I mean, I just go into my local Audi store and they've started now to offer me uh, refills for, I don't know, like sort of domestic cleaners, for example, which use a, use a spray mechanism. I can buy a bottle of concentrate and I put a, some concentrate in my old spray bottle and uh, top it up with water. No, it's a yeah. great example of refilling in its own right. I think there's an appetite for refilling and taps into our the awareness that we've all gained over the pandemic, the need to look after the planet a little bit better and try and do what we can there. I, and I think you're right. I think that there is an appetite. I think refilling's always been a little bit more of a challenge. But there's a different thing going on as well here. I, I was looking at Costco, and Costco, you know, in the, in the United States, you know, their photo centres, I remember when I lived out in the States, you know, it was quite the norm to go and get your, you know, your roll of 36 printed down at Costco. While you're down yeah. there, you pick up some, you know, a 24-pack of Coke and uh, whatever else you needed. You know, it's just one of those things you did. Uh, okay, yeah. so let's just clarify this. You're of an age that you can remember roll film. And, <laughs> ju- and just for clarification, because there's an upcoming story, you're talking about the, the drink Coke rather than uh, the, <laughs> oh, the drug yeah. Coke. And talking of Coke, uh, the drink, there are other refreshments available. <laughs> Thank you for putting me on the co- politically correct uh, line there. <laughs> but no, it is interesting because the other issue that's also happening in that photo segment is that whilst consumers, generally speaking, are not printing as much, which is one of the key drivers behind this decision of Costco, that people are not printing 36 prints these days from a roll of film. They're viewing on screens. You can look at it instantly on your mobile phone, what you've just taken. But the flip side to that is that actually value add on images is actually on the increase. You've only just got to look at the trends now when it comes to uh, the holiday seasons like Christmas for example, where you see a lot more people buying framed pictures or canvas prints to put on the walls for photo decor, or you see photo restorations, um, you know, of older pictures so that people can, you know, look back you know, nostalgically at the family portraits and so on. There's a renaissance in those things, and even into decor, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you can get your your image now put onto, uh, you know, onto a soft furnishing, or onto cushions, or onto curtains, or roller blinds. There's all sorts of different ways you can go there. So that the value add on images is actually shifting and shifting quite dramatically there. So interesting, interesting little dynamic going on there. And I'm not sure that because what they did at Costco was they took out not just the ink refilling, but they took out all of these other ancillary services at the same time. I'm not yeah. sure whether that was a good idea or not. I think the jury's out on that at the moment. We have a strange attitude to um, towards this type of um, value-add imaging, I'll call it for the want of a better term there. And I think that's now shifting towards web-to-print. You see, it's very easy to get these things produced, you know, from the place where you might buy your, your greetings cards online, um, you can also buy a cushion or a mug with a print on it as well of your uh, favourite uh, grandson or granddaughter. And, uh, so it, but it's definitely shifting. It's but, not gone away. But interestingly, retail in-store filling is growing in Europe. I mean, in France and Spain and Germany, it's expanding. And so maybe Costco um, are market leaders in taking this decision now, or maybe they've cut and run too early. Time will tell. Time Which will I tell. guess takes us to Texas. Uh, well, yes, or Georgia, actually. What this is, very simple. A Fayette County narcotics canine unit found £59, pounds, uh, we'll say in kilos, about 30 kilos of methamphetamine 
amphetamines worth, worth just short of three million dollars, 2.76 whatever million yep. euros. Yeah. But there's a backstory to this. The cartridges were Lexmark cartridges. One person said, you know, why Lexmark? Who knows? Maybe because they got the bigger container, they, uh, they tend to be the bigger cartridge. But the real story here is, is that over a, a few weeks, uh, the Fayetteville County Narcotics Unit had been stopping cars, leaving Brownsville in Texas, uh, and I guess heading towards, you know, New York or wherever. And they've been getting a lot of drugs. So there's a, you know, it's obviously on a regular route, but this particular, uh, police dog and police officer have been incredibly successful, you know, car chases, uh, all sorts, you know, quite amazing really, you know. And on the, this latest one that got into the recycler, it, it was like smart cartridges. Um, yeah, I hear, I hear they found 10 new boxes, boxed, 10 new boxed toner cartridges for methamphetamines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the canine dog was named was Colt. That's there's right. A, there's, a, yeah. there's a good, there's a good solid American name for a, for a dog, isn't it? Colt. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> only, only in Texas, like only but, in Texas. Speaking of nice stories, I almost hesitate to do this, David, because I got told off last time. I got myself into a bit of trouble last time when I when I mentioned that we were going to talk a little bit about HP. Oh, God bless him. Go on. <laughs> well, there's an interesting little um, story that popped up over the past couple of weeks from cartridgesave.co.uk, Ink Cartridge uh, website, who had a list of their, their, their top ten most requested out-of-stock SKUs. This is your cue, actually, to be playing some like sort of topical um, background music here, like a chart Monday. <laughs> An intense position. <laughs> intense position was a HP 305 XL Black, followed by a ninth position, the HP 304 Tricolor, followed in eighth position by the HP 303 Multipack, in seventh. Coming up at number seven, the HP 305 Multipack, quickly followed at number six by the HP 305 XL Multipack, and then in halfway up the chart, at number five is the HP 912 XL Multipack, followed at number four by the HP 304 Multipack, and then we get into the top three, and I hope you're noticing a little bit of a theme here coming through. At number three, it's the HP 304XL multi-pack. And then at number two, it's the HP 304XL black cartridge. And the number one of most requested power stock SKUs in the UK is the HP 304 black cartridge. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's a cartridge that's used in a um, very much a popular home printer. It's a, uh, a 60 British pounds HP Desk Jet 3762 all in one. But that got me thinking, you know, David, about um, if that's out of stock, and it seems to be out of stock pretty widely now. Um, I looked on one or two websites even today, and it was still out of stock in some on some websites. But did you know that you can get this on uh, on Instant Ink, on HP Instant Ink, you can get that cartridge uh, oh, yes. with that printer? 
apparently ink manufacturing has been impacted by global shortage of ethanol, which is being which is a key ingredient in hand sanitizer. But yes, cartridges are available on instant ink. So I'm sure there's no correlation between a lack of cartridges uh, commercially and uh, the availability under instant ink. Yeah, no, but, I'm, I'm sure there's no correlation there whatsoever. But what is interesting is that aftermarket ink companies are managing to make ink. You know, the, the challenge is collecting enough, getting enough empties to get the refilling done. You know, at this moment in time, you know, for every hundred empties that come on the market, you know, the, the demand is for a thousand. That's really the challenge. Oh, but, but, but you have to think... Very- the logistics involved there, you know, the, the, there must be an underlying problem within uh, HP logistics and manufacturing that all these popular cartridges are short supply. I could understand that last summer when uh, the, uh, the the pandemic was first with us and people were going out, but manufacturing has re-emerged. It has engaged. Okay, it might not might not be at 2019 uh, levels, but to have Actually, I'm going to shut up because for every cartridge that HP can't supply, the aftermarket can, so it can refill it. Yeah, so, you know, well, let's hope that it carries on for a long time and that will be a boost for inkjet you know, refilling and another poke yep. in the eye to Costco for the inkjet. <laughs> that, in a way, segues us quite nice to another story that also links to imaging. This is the story about Epson and their professional printers and uh, the rather strange strategy they have there of um, locking out um, any kind of aftermarket products. It's not that simple. They have two professional inkjet models, an A3 and an A2. And just to put that in the context, these are professional inkjet printers for professional photographers etc so you can produce graphics and pictures uh, amazing 10 inks absolutely amazing printers really you know i'm saving up my pocket money and i'm going to buy one but here's what they've done on the a2 uh, sorry on the a3 size which retails at around a thousand euros the cartridge has got 25 10 cartridges they've got 25 milliliters of ink each cartridge costs you 30 odd euros so you're talking for a set 300 euros 300 and something euros on the a3 size they have exactly the same size cartridge if you looked at a set for the a3 and a set for the uh, a2 you wouldn't be able to tell the the difference in terms of physical size but there's 50 milliliters of ink in the a2 size and a set of those retails at about 400 and odd euros so there isn't a big price point between the two however epsom have basically and and the A2 printer is well over a thousand euros. So these are not cheap printers. They're not the sort of printer that sits at home. You're printing out your schoolwork. These are professional printers for graphic designers, architects, whatever. You know, really, really high-end, high-quality printers. Probably best in the market. Who knows? But what they've done is basically locked out the. 50 milliliter cartridge from the uh, small printer for the for the a2 a3 printer so in other words because you only need a3 you have to buy the 25 milliliter cartridge you can't put the 50 milliliter cartridge in and that just seems different yeah and the price point between the two is i don't know 50 euros 
for the, on a complete set. So why the heck would they do that? Why the heck would they want to frustrate a professional who's invested in the machine and then comes to buy a set of cartridges? And by the way, when you buy the printer, you do need to buy an extra set of cartridges because that first set will pretty much be consumed in the setting up of the uh, printer. So you can't use the... A2 cartridges in the A3 printer and I just think it's tedious and frustrating and really Epson what, what, what's your game you're supposed to be sustainable and all the rest of it and, and you're just point scoring for 50 euros on on something that a professional is going to use and I just think yeah, you're crazy yeah. change, change your chip and make it work yeah, it's uh, it's an it's an interesting conundrum, isn't it? And, yeah. and, and to be fair to Epson, they do warn, I think, on their website, you know, that compatibles may not work properly, and updated firmware updates may uh, affect, you know, third-party ink. For me, it's a, an example of a slightly wider, slightly more troubling trend in the market as well that I'm that I've noticed, and that is that when you do look across to the more professional segments of the um, inkjet market, whether that's in wide format or even in on these still relatively speaking desktop machines, A3 and A2 size machines. And, and that is that it's not so easy to use another type of ink. And you may actually have a very genuine reason for wanting to choose perhaps a slightly different ink stock. Now this particular printer here, as you mentioned earlier, they've got 10, 10 different inks in there. That means you've probably got several shades of uh, from white, from a white ink through to a, to a black ink, you know, grey in there. You might have, say, you know, a green or, or other different colours in there, or an orange. That will give you a, you know, a broader spectrum. But there are other ink manufacturers out there who will make a set of inks or who have a set of inks which will just, you know, give you a particular Pantone colour that you just can't achieve with the OEM set of inks. In terms of consumer choice or of user choice, especially in the professional market, if you're in graphic design or in photography and you want to get that specific colour, you just may not be able to quite get it with the OEM ink. And you want to just sort of swap out one particular colour or two colours there. You just don't have that choice. You just don't have that option there. It just seems to be a little bit pedantic, I think is the word I want to use there. Um, yeah. But there we go. That is the way of the world. I guess we can then... Okay, so, well, blimey, where's the time gone? We're at the end of the show. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Peter, for your participation. If you, any of you would like to uh, uh, to join in the conversation, uh, just drop a, an email to news at therecycler.com and uh, we'll, we'll bring you into an upcoming podcast. Or equally, if you've got a topic that you feel that we should be talking about, uh, just drop it in an email to the same email address, news at com. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you for your time, Peter. Uh, have a good thank weekend, you. and uh, uh, we'll catch up with you all again soon. Have a great weekend. Week.